This is Dr. David Bach from the Platypus Institute, and you're listening to Neuron Fire. In this program, we talk with some of the most extraordinary individuals of our time and explore together how science is redefining the limits of human performance and then how you can use that science to dramatically enhance your life. My guests today are Justin Pierce and London Angel Winters. Now, today's podcast, it's a bit of a departure for us because you see Justin and London are experts in the domain of tantric sex. Now, in truth, it's not really that much of a departure for us. After all, I've spent many podcasts interviewing world-class athletes, world-class artists. Justin and London really fall into that same kind of bucket. It just happens to be that their artistry is in the realm of sex. And the reason I wanted to bring them to you is actually there's an evolving body of research into neuroscience and sex, asking the question, A, what happens to the brain during the sexual experience, and much more importantly, how you can use neuroscience to enhance the sexual experience. And so what Justin and London and I are going to talk about is how you achieve mastery in the domain of sexuality, and more importantly, how you can use science and neuroscience to enhance that. I hope you enjoy it. Justin, London, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. It's such a pleasure. Now, before we start, I, I just have one question I want to ask you. In the popular imagination, the most common pe thing that people associate with tantric sex or yogic sex is this multi-hour orgasm that Sting is famously able to achieve. And so what I want to ask you is this. Is that multi-hour orgasm actually a real thing? And if so, can the two of you achieve it? Yes, absolutely. Definitely. All right. So for those of you listening, I just want to make a promise that if you keep on listening for a little, we will dive into that. And you're going to hear not only how you can get there, but also how neuroscience can be used to enable people to get there more quickly. But let's go back because this is about sex. So we, of course, have to warm ourselves up here. Uh, and let's go to the beginning. Uh, Justin and London, how have you guys gone about becoming tantric sex masters or yogic sex masters? What's the background here? Well, I'll start. My story, I'm older than Justin, and I had quite a history in the non-sexual realms. I was an Emmy award-winning producer, really kind of a kick-ass career woman, and sex was very much lacking from my life, or fulfilling sex anyway. And after enough you know, accolades and awards and achieving everything I could possibly achieve, I was hungry for more, quite literally. I wanted something that felt way juicier happening in my life. And so I set myself on this journey of becoming a yogic sex master through lots of training and more importantly, hundreds and hundreds of hours of practice and attracted Justin into my life. And we've spent the last decade honing these abilities and these principles and living this life. Wow. That sounds like a, a fun little sideline activity. That's wonderful. And Justin, what about you? It's all London's fault. 
<laughs> dragged me into this. Um, and from the first moment I stepped in, I wasn't really, uh, I didn't think I'd be into it. And the first experience I said, this is what my entire life is about. I had an interesting childhood, you know, I had a big family and 11 years old, I moved into the basement and I spent many hours in the dark in meditation in astral projection and lucid dream work. I, I loved the landscape. And it wasn't until I met London and she brought me to one of these workshops where for the first time I realized all those incredible spiritual experiences I was having on my own, I could now suddenly share that with another human being. And those experiences weren't something that were just personally subjective. I could actually be with my partner and we can go into those dimensions together through these practices. And for me, that changed everything. And since then, we both have devoted our lives to this path. Wow. And, and just as a quick follow on before we dive into the substance, for those of you listening, Justin and London actually teach this. So in addition to being practitioners, they teach others how to get there. And in fact, they've just published a best-selling book about it. And actually, again, before we dive into the substance, can you just plug that book so for those people listening, they know where to find it and and read about your work? Sure. Our book is called The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love, and it's on Amazon. Okay, thank you. So again, we'll get into the multi-hour orgasm a bit later, but let's start at a high level. After these years of exploration, what in your mind are the key principles of, let's call it yogic sexuality, and how does it differ from what most people in the West do when they have sex with each other? One of the primary differences between sort of like everyday sex and this very elevated rapture zone is whether you're working in the more surface places or the deeper places. So for example, in typically normal sex, you're working with tension and the release of tension. And that has a very small window of opportunity. You know, you come, you both grind on each other, bump uglies, and everything comes to a head, so to speak, and then it's done. That's not going to really lead to hours and hours and hours of potential. To have something move into that yogic realm, it works in the levels of opening and relaxation and deepening together where you're literally riding waves of pleasure and you learn how to be with the peaks and the valleys so expertly that everything just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. And no matter how good the pleasure gets, you keep it together and you just keep riding it higher and higher and wider and wider until you literally in these states become the universe itself. That's how wide the pleasure becomes. And additionally, based on what London just shared, you know, we both have a background in uh, exercise science. So we look at this yogic work very much through that lens. So it's what are the mechanics that actually bring this and make this possible? And some of the key mechanics are breath for one. In standard sex, a lot of people don't pay attention to their breath. They're not aware of their breath. So just by being conscious of your breathing pattern and letting your breath actually move all the way down into your body and fill your body will begin to increase sensitivity beyond just the surface places. So just incorporating a deeper breath is part of it. 
And then also you develop a relationship with your internal muscle systems. So anywhere from the perineum to the pelvic floor, your diaphragm and the internal throat, there's yogic locks in these places. And when you start learning how to manipulate and control these muscles actively, you'll begin to get in touch with the part of your body that needs to turn on for you to really have these extended experiences and internal orgasms. Okay, so let me, if I could, just try to restate what I've heard to make sure that I got it right. I, I heard three themes. London began and talked about relaxation. So if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is that in the yogic sexual practice, instead of building up more tension as arousal builds, you're actually relaxing your body more deeply. And then similarly, instead of having a a shallow breath, you actually, if I understood you right, Justin, you're talking about maintaining a deep breath and actually directing your breath in a very focused way. And then finally, you know, you talked a little bit about muscle control and pelvic locks and neck locks and so on. And it sounds like you're actually rewiring your body so that you're learning to use your muscles and your breath and this relaxation to enable orgasm and pleasure to build. Am I hearing that correctly. You nailed it, David. It's exactly rewiring or training your body to be able to have the capacity to increase the duration and depth of your orgasms. And it starts by shifting your awareness from the surface of your body, like your genitals or the clitoris, and actually feeling much deeper into your intrinsic core, your pelvic floor, your perineum, the diaphragm, as I'd spoken about these internal channels. And once your lovemaking starts to prioritize that place, you're able to touch much deeper levels of sensation and ecstasy. Right. So for those of you listening, what I just want to share with you is, to me, what's so cool about, about this discussion, and we've just begun, is it doesn't actually feel to me a whole lot different than a conversation with an elite athlete or an elite chess player I mean, Justin and London are people who have just practiced and they've learned what to do with their muscles and their breath and so on. It's just that what they're aiming for is ecstasy as opposed to, you know, a, a quick road race or, or something. So it, it's very neat how it's actually very practical. And in a moment, we'll start talking about neuroscience. I'd like to now turn our attention, though, to the intimacy between the two of you. What you've talked about is the internal experience for yourselves in terms of the individual experience, what do you need to do practically to build that connection between the two of you? In the yogic practices, the first thing that you learn how to do is become present with your partner. This is something a lot of us don't spend a lot of time doing at all. So the way that you would experience these practices is through eye contact, is through synchronizing breath until the two bodies literally become entrained with one another. You're breathing together. Your hearts can even begin beating together. Your brainwaves could even possibly sync together. And you're creating a kind of resonance. And at the same time, you can create a friction between your two bodies. But the first step in getting there is slowing things down, deepening the breath, and really bringing presence to the equation. Uh, a man's body can much more easily move into that place of sexual arousal without that type of treatment. But the feminine body actually does require this kind of presence and softening and slow unfolding from the inside out to really authentically begin to reach those deeper places of intimacy. 
I would add that in sort of traditional sex, what we're all sort of taught just by watching porn and whatnot, uh, the feminine role looks a little different in traditional sex where the woman's almost sort of working as hard as the man. She's trying to please him. She's trying to put on a, a show or she's doing the opposite and she's rebelling and she's just that dead fish kind of locked up. And when you start approaching this yogically, as a woman, you realize you have a big role in sex. You have a big, big, big role. And it's not working harder. <laughs> and what you find out is the amount of pleasure that you can access on your own is critical to the amount of pleasure that your man can conjure from you. If you haven't felt your pussy in a decade, you can't expect to show up to a sexual occasion and have a man take you into rapture. You really need to be doing your own work so that you yourself have those channels open. I have this analogy that if you're letting your own self die and you show up to the sexual occasion, for the man, it's like pushing a stalled car up a hill. And for real, and he's, you know, he's going to be working so hard just to try and get you to feel something that nothing becomes possible. There's not true art that can be made. But if you do solo practice as a woman to really find yourself again, to reawaken sensation and be able to trust sensation, that's a big one. Then as a woman, you've done your own homework, so to speak, so that when you show up to a partner and he begins to bring some of these skills to the equation, you can meet him halfway in full surrender. You've literally trained yourself to be able to turn on, to be able to open, to be able to find the mental discipline not to go into your to-do list the minute the pleasure feels like a little bit too threatening or vulnerable. You literally train yourself to show up to the moment. And it's ironic because when we're talking about pleasure, it's so titillating, it's so interesting. People think, oh, well, if any situation presented itself and I had the ability to feel that much pleasure, surely I would be there. And when you get deep into these realms as a practitioner and a teacher, what you notice is actually just because people say they want it doesn't mean they can actually handle it or deal with it when it arrives. And so much of the yoga is learning how to discipline your mind to stay present in the moment. You know, sexuality and hours and hours of lovemaking looks like waves. And so when the wave begins to go into a dip, it's very tempting to sort of let the mind come in just like you would in a Buddhist meditation. The mind comes in to pull you out. And you, what you learn in these arts is how to stay in and how to kind of work together as a partnership to keep each other engaged fully in every molecule of the body, one-to-one, -one, body-to-body. Yes. You know, I like to joke sometimes for people listening, I'm sure nobody can relate to this, but I almost don't want to make that <laughs> joke because I know how meaningful what you just discussed is to so many people who, whether they're in a long-term relationship or not, how meaningful it is to people. And so I, I kind of almost don't want to turn this into a joking matter, but I do hope for those of you listening, there's some resonance in what Justin and London 
are talking about. I'd like to put our discussion right now on the back burner. I, I just have to talk about a, a subject that came up that I think is relevant here, and then we're going to dive back into the mechanics of yogic sex. And that has to do with this distinction you're making between women and men, the masculine and the feminine. You made the assertion, both of you, that a man's body, a man is capable more of doing X, a woman's body is more like Y. And, and I guess I want to ask you, especially in a world today where the notion of gender, you know, is such a hot topic where men are exploring the feminine side and women are exploring the masculine side and people are glomming this stuff together. What is your opinion about this notion of the masculine and feminine? Is it your belief men are masculine, women are feminine? And if not, how do you make sense of all of that in light of what you were talking about, where you were saying, look, men are more like this and women are more like that? I think it's a great question. And there's no doubt physiological differences between the genders. And what we see in our culture even is that a lot of these traits and qualities that used to be considered exclusively masculine, women are stepping into those roles. And when you start to embody or step into those roles, the physiology of your body shifts as well. There's a, a density or a hardening or a stiffening that you need to cultivate to navigate some of these terrains, just like you would in athletics. So there are certain shifts that take place when, as a man or a woman, we're exploring our masculine or feminine side. And London and I love the breadth of that exploration so much. We actually use the words alpha and omega because part of our own practice is cultivating those two sides. Alphas being the more traditional masculine side, the leader, cultivating your relationship to consciousness, to stillness, to presence, and those expressions to purpose. And then the omega being a traditional feminine expression, which is more your orient orientation towards love towards the sensorial, towards the liberation of your expression. This is your creative expression. So very much in our own work, we explore both of these fluidly. And we bring that into our sex as well. And that creates a whole new landscape for exploration because in one moment, I can be taking London in full penetration with her. And then she could throw me over on the bed, pin my arms back, and just penetrate me with a gaze and a breath for 15 seconds. And I can soften my body and receive that. And then in the next two seconds, I can flip it again. And then we're back in a different dynamic. And it's been that liberation of tussle between our bodies that has opened up an entire, entirely new playground of exploration for us that goes beyond the traditional gender roles. So this is something that we practice for ourselves. And it is a little more advanced but it's absolutely accessible to everyone who would want to explore the full spectrum of their sexuality. London, do you have something to add to this? I do. It's a little on the naughty side. Um, oh no, not that. <laughs> I, by the way, I warned in the introduction, I warned people that this was not going to be a regular neuroscience podcast and it's kind of on the R-rated side. So please go for it. <laughs> You know, I mentioned in the earlier uh, that, you know, I'm an Emmy award-winning producer. I achieved financial freedom. I was like kind of a kick-ass career person, right? So I had really honed my masculine abilities, but I had never felt sexual pleasure from penetration from the masculine. And 
by this sort of dynamic fluidity that Justin and I practice, we call it energetic agility. Through that, I have been able to really understand what it's like for men to take all of that focus and penetrating energy and feel sexual ecstasy from it. And I just, I just got to say to all my sisters out there, wow, when you start to understand pleasure from both alpha and omega, your spectrum of notes becomes so wide. The pleasures of living become so wide and the dynamic play between you and your partner becomes there's just so many possible notes to play. It never gets boring. So if I could again try to summarize my understanding of this, and again, this is a very, I think, sensitive topic in today's world. What you guys play with in this world of masculine and feminine polarity is you have a sense that you have bodies that you were born with and they're classically male-female. You have energies you know, as defined in this yogic realm that are kind of classic, you know, and I just say classic masculine or feminine, and you've renamed them, you call them alpha and omega, and your exploration is to really play with it. And so you don't see yourself as having, I'm the man, I'm the woman's role as much as the ability. And I mean, I think you said, you know, you play with a lot of notes, the agility to go back and forth and play with both of these energies, regardless of the sex or gender that you come into the world with or identify with. Am I, am I getting that correct? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So again, I just wanted to take a little sideline because I, as soon as you started talking about it, I, I thought there would be people listening who would have some interest, but let's dive back and now talk about sex. As a reminder, for those of you who haven't been taking notes the way I have, where we ended before that bypass was a, a discussion of the nature of the connection that Justin and London are achieving. We started initially and talked about what they do individually with their own body and how they connected. And London was talking about learning to not work as hard and, and surrender. I want to have this be our first departure into neuroscience. And I think you guys know a little bit about this. And we've had several podcasts on this topic. There's tremendous neuroscience associated with the connection you were talking about. So as a reminder for those of you listening, they said, we do these practices where we sit, we gaze at each other, we synchronize our heartbeats, we synchronize our, our breath. And in fact, what we found in neuroscience is when people do that, you see brainwave synchrony. And so you actually have an experience because of mirror neurons in the body, almost of merging together. And so what excites me about this from the neuroscience perspective is we know we can use neuroscience to understand this, what Justin called entrainment between people. And it's a classic phenomenon that you can, with practice, condition yourself to experience. And it's something we've all gotten. And, and I guess I just want to ask you, first of all, does that resonate? And second of all, did I hear you right in saying in partnered sex, that's almost like the first step you have to take before you can go any deeper? Yeah, David, I'd say you nailed it right there. That experience is the foundation of yogic sex. That's the foundation of the multi-hour orgasm. That's the foundation of really feeling met 
by intimacy in a way that more standard or typical sex will not allow you to feel met. Yeah. It really begins without foundation because in that space, you feel seen, you feel connected to another. Your attention is free and liberated from, you know, your phone and your work and your emails because you're so immersed inside the moment with another. And if we were to talk about, you know, the spiritual origin origins of this, the idea in the ancient teachings of this type of practice, it's really based in two bodies becoming one. That's the realization is there's kind of this one consciousness and we're taking two bodies and bringing those bodies together as one. And, and what's brilliant about that is how you explain neuroscience is actually beginning to prove in ways that there's a lot of truth to that because your bodies are synchronizing through heartbeat, through breath, through even brain waves into a kind of oneness. There's a resonance there. So there's, it's beautiful to hear how science is demonstrating that. And then once you enter that domain, that becomes your foundation for sexual exploration. And then there's a million different techniques and strategies on top of that that you can travel into and explore. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And in fact, it's not just entrainment of the brain waves. What people find is you're seeing exactly the same regions of the brain being activated at exactly the same times. And the brain waves are moving completely synchronously with each other. It does look from a neuroscience perspective as if, in fact, the bodies are merging together with one another. So, yes, your experience that you're describing is completely consistent with uh, what the neuroscience shows. And in fact, I interviewed a, a neuroscientist named Suzanne Dicker just a few days ago for this podcast, and she studied art installations where people would sit there and eye gaze with other people for hours. She put headsets on them and looked at what happened to the brains, what happened to the heartbeat. And in fact, it's just a natural phenomenon. This sense of oneness seems to be a biological phenomenon. And again, our theory is it's because of mirror neurons. But it, it's a really cool thing where neuroscience can bring something to the table. You know, what's frustrating to me on the other end of this podcast is I feel like I have a deep understanding of this from a scientific point of view. And I just wish personally, and I bet some of the listeners, that, that I could actually do what you do and, and <laughs> understand it. But, you know, at least I have the conceptual beginnings of <laughs> understanding. So, you know, you, you take what you can get, right? <laughs> well, you know, Dave, it was funny. London and I were talking about this earlier, and it's like, you know, we've dedicated our lives to the practices. Yeah. And, and we pick up a book or a text on the, the techniques around sexuality and all that. I mean, I'll be bored out of my mind in 30 seconds reading about these more mechanical approaches and intellectualization of these practices. And I'm just like, you know what? It's kind of like an athlete, you know, who's a, who's a basketball player just reading about how to play basketball and not playing. It's like, no, I want to be on the court. I want to play. So our lives since we started have been dedicated towards the practice, like showing up day to day, you know, taking those shots, missing them, getting it wrong and just working it together to figure all this out. And there's no supplement. Like, there's no book you can read or thing I can say right now. It's going to give you that multi, you know, several hour orgasm or multiple orgasms. It comes down to getting into relationship with your breath, with the internal components of your body and learning how to navigate orgasm through those tissues, through that, those components. 
Right. Now, the reason, for those of you listening, and, and actually Justin in London, that for me this is an important discussion from the neuroscience perspective is that we know there are characteristic brainwave patterns associated with what Justin and London do, right? I mean, this is classic. They have a certain body experience. They have a certain way of entraining with each other. There are signatures in the brain with brainwaves that are associated with this. And we also know, once you know those, you can use techniques like neurofeedback to train people to get there faster. And so the promise that applied neuroscience brings to this is we can bring technology to the fore, which will allow you to get to an eight-hour orgasm a lot more quickly than Justin and London, who have spent years doing these practices with their breath and their muscles and the eye gazing. And, you know, admittedly, this sounds like a bit more fun practice than shooting free throws over and over. But fundamentally, you did the same thing. You were just going to get the ball into a slightly different basket, I think. So I nailed it, David. <laughs> I know. Once again, I got the right concept, and I've just got to. <laughs> I'm doing this for myself, you know, <laughs> see if I can get there. So let's talk about this multi hour orgasm. What the hell is it, and how do you do it? And again, you know, please walk us through the mechanics. And one other question is this something you can experience just on your own, or is it something that really needs? partnered practice. You can definitely experience this on your own. And the more you do, the more you train for partnered practice. Because like I said earlier, while it sounds like a great concept, it actually requires discipline. It requires discipline to stop thinking about your fears, to stop clenching in your own closures, to put down your to-do list. You know, life is very full for a lot of us and it has us, I'm sure David, you could speak to the brainwaves that, you know, just being on your email for 15 minutes in lists, right? And you're looking to access a completely different part of yourself, the part that is okay to go into that timeless realm of mental focus where you could literally put your attention on the sensation of the body and have not another thought. And to do that for eight to 10 hours, to do that for a full week together, it's a yoga. It requires something from you. And a lot of people are way too lazy to do it, truth be told. And so then they blame their partner that they're not having the pleasure that they want to have, or they blame their circumstances of their lives. But it's no different than someone who wants to lose weight and has just got to find a way to get to the gym. You know, if you want to have this kind of lovemaking, you need to practice this kind of lovemaking. And every time you do it, you literally gain more skill in keeping your focus on pleasure, in expanding your capacity to let layers drop, feel the vulnerability of that. One thing about the multi-hour orgasm that's very specific is the first orgasm is going to be the most surface of them all. That's going to feel the safest in many ways because it's on the surface. Then to have the next orgasm, you're going one layer deeper. And now you're going to essentially release yourself in that place that's going to be just a little bit closer to maybe your childhood wound. <laughs> and then the next orgasm's a little deeper. 
And now you've been communing with your partner for a little longer. So you're showing more of yourself and then deeper and then deeper and then deeper. So it gets into a little bit of that sort of psychology, psychodrama place where you are touching the most tender, vulnerable parts of you. And in every moment you're choosing to show up or hide. If you hide, it's done. If you show up, it keeps going, it keeps deepening, it keeps widening, the pleasure keeps coming at a bigger level because you're touching bigger parts of yourself. Okay, I, I need to stop. I have so many questions at this point. If you don't mind, I'm gonna go at you with some rapid fire questions just to get some clarifications on this. You know, and again, I'm, I'm just seeking quick answers so people can get an understanding because I really want, for those of you listening, I want you to hear practically what do you need to do to be able to to learn this. So question number one, I just want to confirm, London, you're you're doing the talking. You know, people naturally think of women being people with women's bodies being able to have longer experiences than men. But with men, you know, most of the time you ejaculate and then it's over. So Justin, is this something you experience as well? And can you walk that through? And then I then again I've got a lot of other questions. Yeah, from the man's body or the masculine perspective here, uh, there's a lot of rewiring that goes on, particularly if you've, you know, as a child, you learn to masturbate in secret as quickly as possible, fantasizing to a magazine or your eyes closed. You're actually building this habit pattern in your nervous system of any time you engage sexually, you close your eyes, you fantasize, you contract your body and you try and get it out as quickly as possible. So if you've done that, and that's been your first experience of sexuality, and you've done that for years and years and years and years and years, by the time you get with an intimate partner, that's the relationship that you have to intimacy is close my eyes, fantasize, clench, and ejaculate as quickly as I can. That's a beast to unravel and rewire. It really is. It takes a lot of practice. So one of the first things most practically men need to learn how to do is breathe during this process. Take a full big breath and open your body so you can relax all of the tissues in the front surface of your body. Because most of the time during uh, masturbation or ejaculation, the front of the body is clenched. So you need to learn to soften the front tissues and breathe deeply in the body. Secondly, you need to learn how to do this, not looking at porn not with your eyes closed, fantasizing about some fantasy going on because not staring at a nipple, not staring at a nipple. Oh no. <laughs> what do you think? I've got to write that down. <laughs> okay, I got it. Don't stare at the nipple. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I've just learned so much in this podcast. I got, I got everything I needed out of it. So, so, but the truth is, it could be just staring at the lips or just staring at the toes. If you have a toe fetish, you're just staring at the nipple. Reducing your attention to one focal point is actually not it. When we talk about focus and sex, that hyper-focused single point is not what you want to do as the man. You want to actually widen your attention so you're seeing your partner's full body. Your attention is on their toes, on their fingers, on their lips, all at the same time. And it creates a diffusion of your sexual drive. Right. 
You do that in your peripheral field. You expand your awareness to the room. You do that throughout your own body. Your breath deepens, the front surface of your body opens. You're not fantasizing. And that creates the beginning state where you'll actually start to be able to navigate the orgasm differently. So it's gonna to start to feel different at first. Then from there, there's actually physical techniques one of them uh, is called the mulambanda, which is the root lock at the base of the body. And it's like a Kegel. You want to strengthen that perineum and pelvic floor muscles so that you can actually contract the base. So as sexual energy starts to build up, you're going to contract and almost pump the bottom of your body. And it will start to pump the sexual energy, the sexual fluids up through the body in such a way that now you're experiencing sensation that travels up through the tailbone, up through the spine internally. And then that moves up to your diaphragm. So you also need to know how to take a diaphragmatic breath. And the diaphragm would actually begin to lift with the stomach upwards. So it's almost like a drawing up or a sucking motion. Again, I've got so many questions. And by the way, I assume that was the diaphragmatic breath that you just showed people. So let's just start with the basics, Justin. Mm -hmm. You yourself are capable of an orgasm that lasts a, a super long time. So when you talk about that, even me, I'm feeling a little funny in the graphicness, but are you ejaculating or or when you use that word, do you mean something else? Because it, it almost sounds like you're talking about drawing energy up your spine, you know, into your diaphragm. And so can you just clarify, like, what do you mean when you say orgasm? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, Typically for a man, there's the standard orgasm. You just ejaculate out and that has a feeling associated. Sometimes it's a little bit more than other times, but it's a pretty standard feeling. It's one feeling. Right. When you start having internal orgasms, you start having all different kinds of orgasms. And this is much more like the female body. Your experience of orgasm changes entirely. So sometimes they'll come in waves across the whole body. Sometimes they'll shoot up the spine. But to get to your question is, it will feel just like releasing, like just like ejaculating outwards, except nothing comes out. So you can have that full release experience, except nothing's coming out of your body. And the sensation then almost vibrates through the entire body. And you can, with practice, learn to articulate it. You could send it up your spine. You can spread it out through your back. You could send it to your fingers and toes. You can literally navigate the orgasm through your body. And when we talk about like extended orgasms, it's not like you just hit that high note and you just stay there for hours. It comes in waves. So you'll reach a peak moment. You'll soften your body. You'll breathe deep. You might lose your erection as you soften and that's fine. And then suddenly it just kind of, yeah. boom, this splash of ecstasy moves out. And then other times it'll be these really high moments, but then you'll, come back down, it'll ebb and flow, and then you can just go back into another, and then it'll ebb and flow, you can back into another. Right. You know, again, as a quick sideline, it is said in the tantric literature that men like Justin, who withhold this ejaculation and do it rarely, that they're healthier, and they live longer. Uh, and there is, you know, there's this weird experiment, which has now been replicated many times in earthworms. I, I don't know if you know about this, where they take earthworms and 
you know, only scientists would do this. And I apologize, but I'm not like I've ever done this research experiment where they take one collection of earthworms and they don't allow them to have ejaculation and then other male earthworms and they cause them to ejaculate a couple times a day. And it turns out the ones who ejaculate twice a day will live on average seven days and the ones who don't live on average 10, which is the only scientific evidence I know of suggesting this. But is it your belief that this practice of not ejaculating actually has all these or any of these health benefits that the tantric people talk about? Yeah, I mean, traditionally in the ancient texts, they talk about immortality. And I think we know that's not true. Right. But in my own personal experiences, once you start actually preserving your own sexual energy, but still engaging in sex, right. that's the thing. You're still engaging in sex, but you're not ejaculating. You're gonna ha- Your energy levels are going to go up. When I first learned how to do this, the first several weeks of this training, I was getting maybe three hours of sleep a night. And I'd wake up the next day totally awake. So it's like, you know, you're vital. You have this incredible resource of energy. And now I will utilize that in my own practice um, in terms of my work. So if I've got tons of work or I've got a long stretch of work to do, I will absolutely not ejaculate during that time because if I do, I can feel the difference in my body now. I will just be drained. I'll be tired. I won't be as resourced. Whereas I can use that sexual energy as a natural stimulant that keeps me more clear, more focused. And there's also times when it's correct to let that go. And you don't, because holding that in could also make you kind of rigid and tight. You want to have this beautiful fluctuation between that. So you can use your sexual energy as like a pressure valve and you want to build it up to a certain degree. So you have that vitality and energy. You're not always drained and you don't, don't want to get too rigid or anal or kind of uptight. So you can actually release the pressure when appropriate. And I just navigate that terrain now. I'm not married to not ejaculating at all, but I am aware that if you ejaculate too much, you can absolutely feel drained and depleted. Right. You know, it's it, the, the opportunities here for double entendres are just like they're, they're flying right and I have to comment, what's been interesting as we've been talking about this multi-hour orgasm is there seems like there's an awful lot of overlap between what you're describing and classic meditation. You know, London, you talk about, I mean, it was really interesting, but the, the main thing you were talking about was that it's brain training where you're teaching yourself to stay focused in a particular area. And it's you both talked about this. London, you talked about focusing on the pleasure, keeping your body relaxed, but really being disciplined about doing it the same way meditators learn to focus on their breath. And then, Justin, you talked about this diffused awareness, which, by the way, is a classic description you hear from people who meditate, where they well, they actually learn to be either focused on a specific thing or to diffuse that awareness. But what what is the overlap between this yogic sexual practice that you do and classic kind of meditation stuff? I would say very, very little, except that, I mean, I do enormous amounts of solo practice the same way a monk does, because I'm looking to transcend the chaos of my daily life (laughs) and then bring my ability to transcend into these altered states to Justin as his sexual partner. 
So I'm, I'm even watching how much drama I bring him because he's on his purpose and I want to be mindful in what I'm adding to our dynamic. I'm, 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 you know, our book is all about this. The awakened woman is intentional in her energy. The awakened woman is cultivating her feminine from the same place that traditional masculine practice cultivated their masculine. And then she's bringing all of that to the sexual occasion. Right. So, you know, I would say the line between, you know, traditional meditative practices and what we're doing is very thin, but you have to take into account that masculine practice traditionally transcends the body, almost might even disavow the body at times. You transcend out of the chaos. But if you want to be a fully orgasmic, juicy woman, you cannot transcend your body. I mean, you just become another man. You know, you, you're like going to meet him in the same place he's bringing. So as a woman, particularly, or, you know, when you're playing the feminine role as a partner, you need to be fully loaded in the body. You need to be able to feel everything. And so the feminine path of awakening has to do with how do you feel everything all the time? and achieve cultivation in tuning to the channels of the divine and not the chaos. And that's what I teach. That's what I teach women how to do. That's what I bring to my man. That's what I'm spending hours and hours cultivating. So one thing I want to add here to just to make it super clear is we describe that one level of presence where you're in training your two bodies and synchronizing. Once you get that step, we call that step presence, the next step is polarity. And that means one partner has to do something different than the other. So what London's describing is the traditional uh, Buddhist practice of meditation and transcending the self. One partner would do that pose and put all of their attention on the other partner. So you become fully conscious, you put all of your attention in the other partner, but then the other partner doesn't do the same thing. The other partner actually drops into their own sensation. They drop so deeply into their own sensation and then allow that to naturally and authentically express. And that's what creates that sexual tension and friction. That's the next layer of spiritual intimacy or sacred intimacy. Is that the same as the alpha and omega that you referenced earlier? Those two energies? Precisely. Okay. And, and it's got something to do with what people would talk about, about masculine and feminine or yin and yang. Is that right? Yes. L loosely. Yes. Loosely. And so, okay. I'm, I'm sure that in your world, there's exquisite distinctions between all those things. And for those of us who are the muggles, you know, it's, Kind of there, there's two generic energies that you're playing with. So just so I can make sure I got it, to restate this, the classic meditative experience is, is what one partner does. And that's where, London, if I heard you right, you're really outside of your body. And you're doing the same thing you would sitting on a meditation cushion. You become presence, you become still, and you, if I heard it right, you're focusing 100% of your energy on, on your partner, but the other partner does the opposite to create what you call friction. And they are there to focus on sensation. It's learning to be aware of, I think I heard you saying, you know, everything that's happening in your body at every moment where you're relaxing and surrendering and, and really becoming 
I, I guess that, you know, that would be called, you know, sort of surrendered feminine type of energy. Am I getting that right? Yep. In, in fact, you represent pleasure for the dynamic. You represent the allowing of energy to move through every channel so fully that there's no holdback. Therefore, he's essentially like riverbanks holding this rushing river of full sensation and pleasure. And one partner has to completely let go to allow a river to gush. And another partner has to be so present and transcendent and not get caught up in that, that they provide the banks to let that river go somewhere artful. Right. And when the two of you do this together, it is profound, but it requires, you know, a lot of times men are really almost um, given this undue responsibility for taking a woman into wild ecstasy. And it's not often really instructed that there's things a woman needs to bring to the equation to allow herself to go there with good, good lead. Right. It's sort of, if I hear you right, it's almost this paradoxical idea that you actually have to work hard to allow yourself to completely surrender and not do any work. But just, but just experience. <laughs> I mean, and I know that yoga is filled with these. By the way, for those of you listening, the this river metaphor is a classic metaphor in all sorts of Eastern traditions, where you talk about masculine and feminine energies. And you know, the the idea here is we think of a river as being a river, but in again all sorts of Eastern philosophies, it said there are two energies in a river. And you need both of them. You need the banks, which are still and solid and contain the water. And then you need the water. And the point is, the water can't be a river without the banks. The banks can't be a river unless there's something flowing through it. And then you got the water, which is all free and flowy and doing the feminine thing. And you got the banks, which are holding it and being still and boring. And it's that combination that creates the <laughs> oneness. And so uh, it, it sounds very much, and now I understand a little bit about why you call yourself yogic, this really does derive very much from a classic yoga tradition, but just with an application in the realm of sex and intimacy. And it's really, it's really wonderful. Anything to add to what I just said? And if not, let's now turn our attention to the listener and see if we can help those of you listening achieve something close to the levels of ecstasy that um, Justin and London are talking about. But before we go on, do you have any any other comments or observations or corrections to what I just said? I think you nailed it, David. Very beautifully said. Thank you. Now, now, now maybe I can learn to actually do it. Um, I have to admit, though, you know, you know, I know that I'm born a man, but I have to admit the notion of being the water sounds a little bit more fun than the riverbank. <laughs> can you talk about that for just a moment before we talk about the practical? So if you're playing this masculine role and you're sitting there completely in presence and just focused on London and doing nothing other than maintaining presence, why on earth? I mean, how is that fun? <laughs> I love that. Well, sometimes it's not fun at all. Sometimes it's it's a responsibility. It's a burden to be conscious. Well, that sounds fun. So, so what was <laughs> the, but I mean, really, like you spend years training yourself. What's the payoff for the guy playing that role? Because it sounds like you go into the surrendered part the minority of the time. What's the, why would one want to do that? What's the value? And I know both of you have practiced in that 
realm. I think it's blindingly obvious how everybody likes pleasure, but what's the value of this kind of riverbank role? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the dimensions of pleasure that London and I are committed to are not very physiological at all. I mean, the pleasure that we get is like the pleasure you would get from doing a 10-day Vipassana meditation or sitting in meditation and experiencing a pleasure that happens there. We just do that together. So the beautiful experience that I feel is that when I'm with her, just resting as consciousness and offering her my breath, my full attention, there's a part of me that gets to just settle into being consciousness and doing nothing. And when you look at my body, I'm still, and I'm doing a lot of things, but there's this incredibly liberating experience when I can give her my everything and simultaneously feel like I'm dropping into that meditative state of nothingness. There's, I mean, I meditate for hours and hours a day, and then I do it also in my intimacy. So to me, it's, it's a revolutionary experience. Right. And it requires a discipline to break myself away from computers and work. And I still engage in all of that. But once you start to taste the rewards of living that lifestyle, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's where we make love from. And now, sure, we still have physical sex all the time, but our definition of intimacy has changed profoundly. We will be on the couch for 30 seconds. We'll create intimacy. Right. We'll be in the kitchen cooking and we'll make eye contact. I'll pull her towards me. I'll say, come here put her belly to belly, breathe her for 15 seconds. And then I'll say, go back to work and push her away. It's moments like that, that keep our polarity or our sexual tension at play at all times so that we're never too far away from that sexual tussle that we really love and want in relationship. Right. For those of you listening, I just have to say, from my perspective, you can hear the mastery in these two when they speak. I mean, at least my experience in listening, when London talks about this energetic, you can feel it because she's so trained, she transmits it with her voice. And of course, in the world of neuroscience, the voice itself is something to which we become entrained. Your brain waves change as a result of it, and you start to synchronize with the sound of it. So it's really, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. And it, again, it, it's more like you are artists in a generic domain than you are, you know, just something with sex. You practice and you become very good at it. And it's really, it's really cool. So thank you. And now let's turn our attention to the listener. Justin in London, if you had to now bring yourself down to the level of us muggles who haven't got the 10 years of experience and training and conditioning, and we're just trying to experience a little bit more intimacy and connection and pleasure. What are the two or three things that people can do starting now to get themselves slightly toward the level where you are of experiencing this depth of pleasure, connection, and intimacy? I'll go first and then I'll let Justin go. Have you ever witnessed a tango dance where the man is leading and the woman is literally moving backwards most of the time? Like she doesn't have the ability to lead because she's walking backwards, essentially. Sure. That's polarity in a nutshell. So for the average person to start touching this, they need to know that somebody's got to be the male lead and somebody's got to be the female follower. It doesn't matter what your gender is. In other words, one energy is penetrating 
and the other energy is receiving. And the level that one can penetrate and the level that the other can receive will directly affect the amount of pleasure and fulfillment given. So just quick example, if as the receiver, you are blocked and guarded because you don't want to soften into anything other than self-sufficiency, it doesn't matter how good your partner does. It's only going to be mediocre. It's going to be as good as your ability to let go of self-sufficiency. Let's stop. How do you practice that? So someone's listening and they're saying, okay, I believe you. I want to learn, you know, I'm, you know, a high powered person in the world and, you know, I've been trained in self-sufficiency, surrender is hard. How do they practice? What do you specifically go out and do to learn that skill in your body? Great question. And I've got an easy answer. I have a practice that's called the yes practice. And it, it is for this purpose exclusively. I learned it by teaching so many women who had sexual abuse and literal physical trauma in their bodies that would block them from pleasure. And I would take them through this thing called the yes practice, where as a disciplined omega meditation, they would have to find some form of pleasure in their body and say yes to it for 10 minutes straight. They would literally discipline themselves to receive pleasure. In our book, we have a resources page where you can download free resources. And I even created a 10 minute guided practice where you could hear me guiding you in this. But the upshot of it is you have to be willing to do it. And it's really hard, just like a basketball player can't learn a layup in the NBA playoffs an Omega practitioner cannot learn to receive pleasure in game time with her partner. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just, it's game time. Game time. Yeah. I, I, I just got, got this image of the umpire <laughs> scoreboard. Totally. Sorry. Exactly. Completely sorry to take you off your, your game. So the yes practice. And, and of course, for those of you listening who are used to this podcast, you understand this is how rewiring happens, right? You train something over and over, you're conscious of it, your brain, your body will rewire itself and learn to do this. And so as with all these practitioners, doing something over and over will retrain it. So the yes practice and, and to get that, is there an online resource or do people have to buy your book to get this meditation? How, how do people get there? I actually go into detail and put it all in context in the book. And then there's like a little asterisk and it has a link to get the free download. Okay. And can, is there a website or something people can get it? Again, do people have to buy the book to find this or can they get this for free is the question. No, it's for people who have bought the book. Okay. No problem. Thank you. Uh, and give... Give me one more practice and then I want to get some tangible other stuff. So what's another thing people can do, Justin? So if you're a man and you're interested in exploring this, the first thing you do, whether you're single or in a relationship, engage in sexual activity and do not ejaculate. Maybe get yourself to around 80% and then just cut yourself off. At first, this is going to feel weird. It might even feel a little frustrating, irritating. That's part of the, tr the rewiring process. Engage in sexual activity, do not ejaculate. Over time, that's going to kind of build like a reservoir inside of your body. And you need that reservoir to begin building a relationship, a, a tangible relationship with sexual energy. So you'll feel that in your body. The next step is learning how to move it with your breath. 
So you might sit in a meditative posture and the breath is a big full inhale. You're pulling it into your belly. Your belly gets full. You could even breathe it into the base of your body. You're filling those muscles and then you contract the base of your body, which is called a mulambanda or just a Kegel. You can think of it that way. And then you exhale and you're imagining exhaling it up the body. So you inhale down, fill the base of your body, contract the base of your body and exhale up. So just those two practices are your starting point. Some of you might find you'll be able to stay with that energy and move it fluidly. Some of you might find that you'll get what's called blue balls and it'll start to get clogged. I remember when I first started off to massage the insides of my legs and just kind of get used to this. But over time, you'll begin to rewire that process. So just not ejaculating, but still engaging in sexual activity. And that deep down breath is going to be your foundation. From there, there's a number of books and techniques. Montauk Chi is famous for talking about these stories. But that's how you can really get started. And then bringing that big breath into your lovemaking is the next part. So let's just go over this and we'll be super clinical about it. So this breath you're talking about, is it happening during the sexual act, and I'm guessing you do it when you masturbate, is it? So you're, I'm sorry to be so graphic, but what's happening is you're masturbating and doing the breath, or you get yourself to be 80% and then you do the breath. Just help me understand the specific mechanics here. Yeah, the way that I'm prescribing it now for anyone starting is you don't have to do the breath during the sexual activity. First, you just want to be able to get yourself to 80% arousal and then stop. If you can do that, you're already way ahead of the game and you just get used to that process. The second piece is learning the breath and you don't have to engage in sexual activity learning this breath. So you might engage in this sexual activity, get to 80% and then later that day or right after you can sit and actually begin doing this breath practice I described. The evolution then is combining those two things together when you're ready, but that's going to take, you know, you'll be with your partner, you'll be breathing, or you could be by yourself and you'll be breathing and it's going to be a different experience from there. So it's a step-by-step process that I set out for a lot of uh, my clients. And so in essence, what you talked about earlier, this notion of bringing the orgasm up the spine rather than having it come out of the body, that's essentially what you're talking about. You're building this so-called energy down in your pelvis, you do this breath and then over time you train yourself to move it up your spine and then ultimately that brings you to the whole body continuous orgasm because you're just moving that energy continually in your body. Am I I getting that right? That's correct. And for anyone who gets, you know, to those next steps, my next recommendation is as you start to feel the approach of an orgasm coming on, you're contracting the base and you want to imagine like drinking like a straw. I mean, this is graphic, but imagine your penis is a straw and you're trying to suck the orgasm through the straw up into your body. And if you could just aim towards your belly button or your heart, that tends to be easier than trying to shoot the thing straight up your spine at your first go. So if you can just draw that sensation in towards the belly button, towards the heart, you're going to start to experience those internal orgasms much sooner. And then with development of those muscles, that's when you can start shooting it over your spine and throughout the rest of your body. Right. And I think for those of you listening, if you had any doubt at this point, it's pretty clear we're talking about something very different than the classic Uh, Western sexual experience. Justin, how long does it take to learn this? You said it was really gruesome for men to rewire this. Is this something where 
you know, it's six hours of practice or six days of practice or, you know, six years? Great question. You know, it depends on how addicted you are to ejaculating. That's the reality of it. Ejaculating is very addictive. So when men start to realize what they're going to have to let go of to learn this, a lot of them just quit, you know, after a week or two. But if you're committed to it, with diligent practice, you can develop this in a matter of weeks to get started and then a matter of months. For me, I dabbled at first and I was like, oh, let me try this. Let me experiment. Okay, that's interesting. And then I let it go. And then I came back and I said, you know what? No, I want this. I'm going to do this. And then I really committed. Um, and I would say on that second round, it took a minimum of three weeks for me to be able to start moving the energy. Right. And that makes sense. It evolved from there. And I've been doing this for years now. It does take time. There's no doubt. And then, of course, my favorite game in life is to try and ruin it for him. <laughs> How do you do with that? <laughs> oh, I just make myself irresistibly sexy where he can't handle it. <laughs> so, so just to be clear, when you say you try to ruin it to him, so Justin's, you know, a master yogic practitioner. Can you, can you knock him over and make everything he say mood and he just ejaculates? Definitely. If you want to. How long, how long does it take you? Let's but not, wait, wait, no, no, Justin, don't say anything. I want to hear this from London. And then, and then you can rebut this. <laughs> because what we're doing is we're, we're poking a hole in the bubble of thinking you're, you're truly masterful. So we're waiting for the read. So how long does it take you to just completely knock him over, London? Um, hmm. Depends on just how artful I am that day. But I would say at will. <laughs> Part of the classic idea here is one of the beliefs in this Eastern sexuality is that Justin and London are using each other to move towards spiritual enlightenment and to get better at this. And so you're actually, it sounds like you're playing off of each other where you're teaching him to get better and better by making yourself irresistible and making it actually hard for uh, for Justin to do this. So Justin, I, I open this up for your rebuttal and then we'll wrap <laughs> things up. So explain where, where London is completely misleading the listener here. She's not misleading the listener at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But you know, it's like, yeah, you're a yoga master. And it's like, well, so is she. And <laughs> so you bring those two forces together and that's really where the art form comes from. It's such right. a high level game that you're driving one another to these intense places of ecstasy. And the point is, can we hang out there together? Can we coexist there together? And wherever you get, it's not far enough. Let's go deeper. Let's go further. Right. So it's the practice of constantly pushing and, and we'll, you know, I'll call her out right in the middle of sex and so will she. And it, it becomes a game. And what we've learned over these years, and whether it's this practice or just relationship in general, you have to be really transparent about these types of things and you have to play, like make it fun, tease each other to wit's end. That's what has made this such an amazing experience for both of us that's allowed us to stay committed to it for so long. One final question in terms of practical practices. You each talked about a specific practice you can do, one, to cultivate this masculine energy, the notion of teaching the internal orgasm for the man's body. And London, you talked about your yes practice to learn surrender. You said that the starting point for intimacy between the two of you is this notion of presence, where you start to entrain with one another. 
How do you teach people that practice? Because that's not something you can do on your own. That's something that you require a partner for. How, how does one go about learning that? London and I offer workshops that we call the Yoga of Intimacy. Um, they could be found on London's website, londonangelwinters.com, or you can just Google Yoga of Intimacy and Eventbrite will show them. And these are workshops where you bring hand-selected individuals, 12 men, 12 women together, and for 10 hours a day, we'll do a deep dive into these practices and teach you in person through demonstration, dialogue, and mostly practice, you'll learn exactly how to do this. And we also do this privately with clients. Um, if you come in a couple or even as an individual who wants to learn this work, we offer private training. And if somebody wants to just do this on their own, are there practices? And by the way, I mean, clearly going, having a teacher doing it in a training makes a lot of sense. But if somebody wants to start doing it today, are there practices people can use to learn how to be just more present with other people? Or is it just, if you want to be more present, we all know it, just practice. I'm just wondering if there's something like a yes practice or this, um, the blue balls practice that you prescribed um, <laughs> that one can do around presence. You know, I want to give something, I want to give a practice, but it's a little bit more on the um, relational end. So it's not as specific as like the internal orgasm or the no, practice? Go for okay. it. You know, the intention here is for people who are still with us, that we're really giving them something practical that they can use to get there. Anyone who's made it all the way through clearly wants to learn. So okay. let's make sure for those of you listening, we we, we give you what, what you're coming here for. Okay, great. So in the relational field, your best feedback mechanism is whether your partner is opening or closing. So when you're doing your own practice, you know, it has, you could set timers, you could see how long you can sustain pleasure without ejaculating, or you could see how long you could sustain pleasure without shutting down as a feminine body, right? But when you get into the relational field, your measure of success changes to how your partner is receiving you. So for example, if you're and we talk about this a lot in the book, we have a whole section on presence, but when you are bringing your practice of presence, you will be able to see them either in train with you or not, depending on how well you're doing. So what you start doing is looking at how you're affecting the other, and then you take responsibility for how that person is showing up around you as a reflection of how you're showing up around them. If you do that one practice, your life will change. Right. And there is an immense amount of neuroscience around this. To just repeat this back, the, the basic idea is as soon as you focus on the other person and, and ask, them, are they in training? Are they opening? You're going to create that presence. And of course, it makes sense because you can't be focused on the other and simultaneously internally focused and meanwhile, by doing that and asking, are they in training, that very process is going to induce the entrainment. That, that makes sense. And it's actually a relatively classic practice uh, from other realms. Uh, London, did I get that right? Perfectly. Yes. Wonderful. So before we close, two things. First of all, I just have to say thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight. And for those of you listening, I hope 
I hope you found it valuable. It's such important work that these guys do. And then second, I just want to give both of you a chance for any last words or thoughts or corrections uh, before, again, we've closed the podcast down. Last piece I'd like to leave the listeners with is there's nothing more intimate than sharing your breath with your partner. So if you're sensitive enough to notice how your partner's breathing and you can begin matching their breath with your breath, that's about as intimately connected you can become. It's one thing to just give them your attention, but when you can give them your breath, you're giving them your body too. So if there's anything that you leave here with to give to your intimate partner, bring them your breath. Notice how they're breathing in that moment and breathe with them. And that works in the most intimate moments, in the most tragic moments. It's a beautiful gift to give. Thank you. London? I would add that in the same way an athlete constantly refines their own relationship to their body-mind to achieve mastery in their sport, whether that's an individual sport or a group sport, yogic sexual practice is exactly the same in that it is a constant refinement of your own body-mind relationship, looking at where you hold tension, looking at where you have open channels, looking at where you have habits and patterns that create less than artful movements, you know, or, or send the ball flying to the left kind of things. Right. It's exactly the same. And that's how like the two of us have gotten completely absorbed in this for 10 years. It's the same way that a golfer would become completely absorbed in golf. It's never ending. There's always something to learn. And the beauty, I know we made it sound very difficult, but the beauty is knowing rapture, two bodies as one. That's what it looks like to win the game. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing what you had to share with the listeners of this podcast. It was a, an absolute privilege. Wow, such a pleasure, David. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Neuron Fire. If you want to dive more deeply into the science of how to rewire your brain and body, I invite you to visit our website at platypusinstitute.org. We've got a whole collection of newsletters and articles there to keep you abreast of the latest in performance science. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, please share it with your friends or go visit iTunes and write a review and subscribe. Till next time, this is Dr. David Bach with the Platypus Institute. May the science be with you.